When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fixing healthcare. Nothing's more important today, but it's also... This can be a debate that gets so tiresome with people just in their hardened political positions, you know, for or against single payer or whatever their policy is. And Richard, you've come up with a guest for today's show who really transcends those kinds of arguments. Yeah, we're going to get some practical suggestions that you and I, Jim, may just agree on despite our differences. Fixing America's Healthcare Crisis, Dr. Vivian Lee. The fact that our system is predominantly fee-for-service has meant that we have focused on things that generate fees. And so we haven't invested in the public health infrastructure that most other countries have. And instead of having the tailwinds of capitalism driving us forward to better value, more innovation and competition, giving us better health, instead our healthcare system is flying right into the headwinds of capitalism. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? Jim, I've got a poster up in our front yard that says, We support our healthcare workers. Many doctors, nurses, and emergency healthcare providers are indeed heroes, putting their own lives at risk to save others from the coronavirus. But as we emerge from this pandemic, the U.S. and other countries are going to have to have a debate about what went wrong in our public health system, what's wrong in our health care system at large. And some of these discussions are about efficiency. They're about about transparency. They're about whether we're really getting what we're paying for. Our guest is Dr. Vivian Lee. She's been a practicing physician, scientist and was CEO of University of Utah Health. Today, she is senior executive at Verily, a healthcare and life sciences company. And Dr. Lee's new book is The Long Fix Solving America's Healthcare Crisis with Strategies that Work for Everyone. Thanks for joining us on How Do We Fix It? Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Good. Yeah, we're, we're in our remote studio. I think Jim's up in the Hudson Valley and I'm on the Connecticut coast. Where are you? I'm in Manhattan, New York. Cool. Right in the middle of everything. So, Speaking of the epicenter of the pandemic, let's get started with the nature of this crisis and and how our healthcare system is doing in the midst of this pandemic. We are seeing our healthcare system facing an enormous stress test 
And of course, while there are components of it that we feel very proud about, as I said, I'm in New York, so every night at seven o'clock, we are cheering for those frontline healthcare workers. But at the same time, I think we're realizing that much of the business model of healthcare is really failing us. And it's it's driving us, I think, to look towards solutions so that we can handle these kinds of pandemics and challenges much better going forward. Do you think that the debate over healthcare should be reframed to not just about access or even uh, how we're paying for it, but, but performance? The statistics are really striking. We pay two to three times on average per person more in healthcare than our peer nations in Europe, Canada, Australia, Japan, and so on. And yet our health outcomes are by far the worst. So why is that? As you raise, this is an important question about, about performance. But fundamentally, I'd say that it's really, it is a business failing. It is fundamentally that our business model, a fee-for-service model where we invest in things that generate fees. So we invest in operating rooms and imaging centers and cancer centers. We don't invest in the areas like we need right now for the COVID crisis to actually prevent disease, to invest in, frankly, even telehealth until very recently. And it's really difficult to expect improvements in performance if our physicians, nurses, hospitals are not rewarded for performance. Even before this book, you had published papers on a concept you call value-driven healthcare. Uh, what do you mean by that? Value-driven healthcare really refers to what we expect in any other part of our economy. We expect if we're going to be consuming a service like going to a restaurant, we expect to pay for good outcomes. We expect to have some transparency about what the price is going to be. We expect to be able to look online and comparison shop. And we expect that what people will do when we go into the shop, in theory, is going to be really in our very best interest. It's, it's as if healthcare, we've decided to do something completely different. And instead of having the tailwinds of capitalism driving us forward to better value, more innovation and competition, giving us better health, instead, our healthcare system is flying right into the headwinds of capitalism. The drive to more profit is actually to do more things to us and not really to deliver better healthcare. And there are so many better systems. And we're actually seeing some of those better systems flourish during the COVID crisis. Yeah. Could you give us some examples of those, those flourishing healthcare systems? Sure. One example is these new Medicare Advantage programs. So as you know, when you're a senior, you qualify for Medicare. And within Medicare Advantage, the folks in Washington have decided that they want to contract and pay for value as opposed to a fee-for-service model. And in these experiments, which have now become quite widespread, so I'm actually, I look for those kinds of clinics for my own parents, for example. In those clinics, Medicare pays the doctors a fixed amount of money for the whole year. And their goal is to keep those patients healthy and out of the hospital. And if they can do so at lower expense, then they get to actually save the money. So now they're no longer incentivized to order a whole bunch of unnecessary tests. They're incentivized to keep the patient healthy and out of the hospital. What do they do? 
They offer shuttle services to the clinic. They have on-site pharmacy. They offer yoga classes and Tai Chi as part of preventing falls. And in the long run, they actually do reduce hospitalizations. They actually save money in the long run. Now, during the COVID crisis, what's happening is they actually have a subscription-based model of payment because they're paid every month by Medicare, regardless of whether people are in their clinics or not. They're actually surviving and even flourishing during this COVID crisis, as opposed to our hospitals, where without any patients and procedures to do, they have no income and they're laying off doctors and nurses. These Medicare Advantage clinics are doing well and they're taking that subscription-based payment model and they're actually using it to make sure that their seniors are getting care even during the COVID crisis, like setting up an urgent care clinic in their clinics so that they don't have to go to the emergency room. They can just come safely into the clinic and be seen. So those are some examples. So there is an example of a a government-paid program. How about private insurance? What can they do? I love that question because I feel like the biggest untapped opportunity in all of healthcare are our employers and all of us as employees. Employers cover healthcare for about half of all Americans. And in doing so, they have an enormous potential market force. And one example that I write about is a group of five employers in Seattle. And they're ones that many of us know about, like Costco and Nordstrom, um, Starbucks. And they worked together and realized that as one of the largest payers of healthcare in this country, they actually had the market power to negotiate with the healthcare system that they were sending all their employees to. So they put forward these performance specs. We need our employees to get prompt and timely care. We need you to only do what works, no unnecessary back operations when a really physical therapy would be enough. And we need to know the prices. You need to tell us what it's going to cost and be very consistent in your pricing. When they put forward those performance specs, the healthcare system that I read about, Virginia Mason Medical Center in this case, obliged. They had to. They didn't want to lose that business. As, as a result, these employers got better care for their employees and they've got the cost down as well. That model could be spread across the country. You've mentioned that America spends a greater share of its national output on healthcare than any other country in the world, and that a good deal of that is the result of waste. How did our healthcare become so expensive? That's really the trillion dollar question. Our healthcare system right now wastes around 25 to 30 cents on every dollar. The reason why we've generated so much waste is because of the way in which our healthcare system grew up. We started off with a fee-for-service model where every time we do a procedure, we run the operating room, do another MRI, we sent a bill over to Medicare or we sent a bill to the private insurers and they just paid. And if you're working in a system like this, what does that incentivize you to do? Do more procedures, open up more operating rooms and perform more and more studies. And then what happens is the only point of control in that rising spend then becomes the health insurance company or, for example, the government payer. 
And so what do they do? They say, no, we don't want you to spend all that money. We're going to put some barriers into place. We're going to deny your request to order that MRI, or we're going to put in what we call prior authorization, which means you as a doctor, if you want to order that MRI, you need to fill out this huge stack of paperwork. So now you have this big tug of war between two behemoths. They're wasting about 8% of every healthcare dollar just on administration when countries like Canada or Europe spend 3%. You mentioned the issue of of price transparency, and I think this is something a lot of healthcare consumers just find mind-blowing that you know, the physician doesn't know how much something costs or somebody goes into uh, an operating room and they think they know what it's going to cost up front. But it turns out the anesthesiologist isn't on their insurance and they have these massive out of pocket things. I know this is an issue you've grappled with a lot. How can we do better on this? Price transparency is really a mystery in healthcare. In our hospitals and clinics, If you go and ask any physician or administrator or even CEO or CFO, what does it cost you for every patient who comes in and wants to deliver a baby? We actually don't know what it costs us. It's it's really a stunning fact. And once we started figuring out what it really cost us, we could see enormous opportunities for reducing waste. Let's say a patient who needs an artificial hip. Just the cost of that artificial hip or knee, what we had to pay the supplier at the University of Utah, there was a threefold difference in cost. And when we showed those numbers to our orthopedic surgeons, who, by the way, had the same outcomes, the patients did just as well if they paid for the really expensive hip as opposed to the less expensive hip. Once we showed that to the orthopedic surgeons, they immediately started to change their behavior to say, well, why waste all that money? So that was one really eye-opening lesson, because if we can give that information to our frontline providers, to our physicians and others, we can really root out a lot of the waste. We really tried to make prices really transparent. We created a website when I was the CEO of the University of Utah's healthcare system, just for some of our top procedures to see what it would cost a patient out of pocket. And it was almost impossible for us to do it. Almost impossible because it varied so much by insurance plans. So one of the cases that I try to make in this book is that we just need to have a lot more consistency around how our insurance plans are modeled and not a different flavor for every day of the month and every week and every town. Because that variation doesn't really do us any good as consumers. If we could standardize that, then we could make it much more transparent and people could actually shop around and know what they're shopping for. It's How Do We Fix It? Our show is about solutions and today, fixing the healthcare system with Dr. Vivian Lee. More coming up. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, 
they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Before we get back to our interview, a quick ask. If you like what you hear, please rate and review How Do We Fix It on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And every dollar you give to our Patreon account is spent on marketing, getting the word out to more people about what we're doing to discuss solutions. Please go to patreon.com, search How Do We Fix It, and thanks. Now more of our conversation with Dr. Vivian Lee. How important is universal health care to improving the functioning of our healthcare system and delivering better health care for more people? Without a doubt, people do better when they have access to health care. They're healthier, they live longer, they have more satisfying lives. There was a really fantastic piece of research that was published before the Affordable Care Act. In 2000, three different states, New York, Maine, and Arizona, decided to expand Medicaid. This is pre-Affordable Care Act, pre-Obamacare. And then researchers studied what happened in those states over the next 12 years. And the results are stunning. Overall death rates dropped dramatically over those 12 years. And people reported a much higher quality of life. So the data, I think, are very clear that healthcare and access to healthcare is very important. And we all know anecdotally that it's much more cost effective and much more sensible to cover a 10 cent blood pressure pill every day for somebody than to wait 10 or 15 years later for them to show up in our emergency room with a heart attack or with a stroke. And one important takeaway, I think, from, from the research that I did is that given the amount of waste that we have in our healthcare system, if we can reduce that waste, we can redirect those funds. We actually have more than enough to cover health insurance for everyone in this country. And related to that, one of the lessons in the COVID-19 pandemic is the very different outcomes that different groups are finding from the disease, certainly here in New York. And it might be related to underlying conditions, but what is your take on the degree to which lack of good access to health care has helped promote some of those conditions that, that give people such bad outcomes when they show up in the emergency room with this disease? The data are definitely showing that people who have chronic conditions are at higher risk of COVID and at higher risk of a, of a more serious version of COVID. And what we're seeing is that many of the opportunities to try to prevent chronic diseases like that or reduce their impact have been underinvested in because of our fee-for-service model of healthcare. The silver lining of the COVID-19 crisis is that we've seen a rapid shift to alternative ways of caring for people outside of the four walls 
of the clinic and the hospital that can lead to better access to healthcare for everyone. And those include telemedicine, telehealth. And by making those available, we're seeing that we can really care for patients outside of the traditional healthcare environments, which I hope will be beneficial for those who ordinarily really have difficulty getting access to care, whether it's because of economic reasons or because of geography and where they live. You've been learning some new lessons in in your job, haven't you, about uh, the importance of technology in healthcare? You now work for Google's healthcare uh, firm, Verily. What's your mission there? We are really focused on making healthcare information available to all in a way that's really actionable. One example is a virtual diabetes clinic which is called OnDuo. Ordinarily, for a person with type 2 diabetes, you'd want to check your blood sugars and keep your blood sugars under control. And you might have to prick your finger a few times a day just to check your blood sugars. So one of the technologies that we built is a continuous glucose monitor. It's about the size of a key fob, and you put it on your arm or on your abdomen for a couple of weeks. And what it does is measures your blood sugars 24-7 and transmit it to your smartphone so you can actually see the tracings. And then the most important thing that influences your blood sugar is your diet and exercise. And ordinarily, we might ask you to keep a food log. In this case, because of the technology, you can just take pictures of your meals and snacks. And so you can start to see the association between what you're eating and what it's doing your blood sugars. And it'll tell you, even if it may be obvious, but you know, Vivian, maybe you shouldn't have had that second slice of pecan pie. Look at what it did to your blood sugar the last three times you did that. Maybe you shouldn't do it next week. Or maybe, you know, you have that sandwich. Maybe take the top bun off of that sandwich, the top slice of bread off. You know, that might help. So you have that technology. And then you have the chatting with a health coach and video conferencing with a physician. That kind of technology is invaluable in days like today, but also post-COVID. You're talking about the the value of this very patient-focused uh, relationship using technology, but also there is a, a broader value here. You're also acquiring a lot of data. What is the big data dimension of, of what Verily is doing? The opportunities to learn from experience are probably among the the biggest opportunities that make me really optimistic about the future of healthcare. And probably one of the greatest areas of untapped potential are the data that are in our hospitals, in our electronic medical records. And now I'm speaking about the work specifically that we did at the University of Utah. So for example, we started looking at the data in our electronic medical records around how patients who underwent uh, total knee replacements actually did after their procedure. And we discovered that actually a certain percentage of them, maybe as many as a third, weren't doing as well as the other two-thirds. They were having slightly longer stays in the hospital. Sometimes they had a complication like an infection. It wasn't very many, but there was a consistent percentage of patients who had that problem. 
by having the data and doing some research on it, we could discover that what those patients shared in common was they were operated on at the end of the day. And by the time they finished with the operation and they came to the floor, to the hospital ward for recovery, our physical therapist had already gone home. Now, we already knew that physical therapy was really important, is really important on the day of surgery. That may sound painful to you, but actually patients still have the anesthesia working. So it's not painful to them. And they just need to get up and out of bed the day of surgery and walk around with the physical therapist. And if they can do that, they just have better outcomes. We only discovered that that wasn't happening because we had the data and we could do the analytics on it. Solution was really easy. We just created a second shift of physical therapists. We just asked a few of them to come in a few hours later and stay a little later. Now everybody was able to get up and out of bed the day of surgery. And we had so many patients who had better outcomes and it cost less. On the topic of big data, it's a word that makes some people nervous. Verily, as part of Alphabet, part of the Google family of companies, certainly is connected to one of the world's biggest data giants. There's a lot of people who are concerned that so much of our data that we generate in our lives is is in the hands of a relatively small number of, of companies. What do you say to people who look at that and say, hmm, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want Google having all my healthcare data. Isn't there a better or different approach? The company that I work for, Verily, is part of the Alphabet family. And we're very committed to data and data privacy and data security and using the data for the purposes to which it was intended. So, for example, with Onduo and our diabetes management program, we used the data about a particular individual to improve the product for other individuals. We don't share the data with our sister company in Google. It's not used for any other purposes. It's certainly not used for advertising or anything like that. And we are very transparent about how we use the data with our partners. There are so many more things we could discuss with you. But before we go, I want to return to the current moment, to coronavirus. There are a handful of countries overseas that have done a considerably better job than the United States in tackling this virus and and reducing the number of cases and the number of deaths. What are a few lessons we can learn from, from other countries? Many of the challenges that we're facing with COVID in the U.S. are a reflection of some of the underlying flaws of our healthcare system. The fact that our system is predominantly fee-for-service has meant that we have focused on things that generate fees. And so we haven't invested in the public health infrastructure that most other countries have. We are trying to make important steps towards that now. Our county and state health departments are trying to coordinate much more effectively to, for example, share information on where lab tests are available, where's the prevalence of disease and how it's moving across this country to be able to monitor, for example, the effect of reopening the economy. So one is an investment in in public health and public health infrastructure. The second is we really need to have this payment model 
enable our health systems to be more robust. The fact that in April, we laid off a one and a half million doctors and nurses and healthcare workers, knowing full well that in the next few months, many of these procedures that have been deferred, whether they're cancer treatments or heart surgeries, those patients are needed to come back in and get care. And we've just laid off one and a half million of our workforce. We don't have a robust or resilient healthcare system, which most countries have. And then finally, I think we have to recognize that healthcare and a better health system is key to our nation's readiness to face any kind of challenge, not even just a healthcare challenge. And that readiness is a part of what's inherent in our military system. We need to have that same readiness mindset when it comes to healthcare for the whole country. And most other nations have that prioritization. And we need to rapidly move into that and think of it as a bipartisan problem with bipartisan solutions. Dr. Vivian Lee, author of the new book, The Long Fix. Thanks very much for sharing your knowledge, deep as it is, of our healthcare system. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Before our conversation, a recommendation. I have a couple of TV miniseries to recommend. Both are dramas with a business theme. The newest one is State of Happiness, a Norwegian show about the early days, the wild early days, of the North Sea oil business in the late 1960s. The music, the acting, and the settings are all great. A delightful clash of cultures between some young American oil guys and the Norwegians who lived in Stavanger, just as oil changed everything in their small city. The other show that's been a favorite of mine for years is Halt and Catch Fire. It's about a startup computer firm in Texas and California with a great cast. There's a real depth and breadth of experience that make Dr. Vivian Lee's insights so worth listening to. She had she had years um, of work as, as a doctor, and then she was in both public and private sector. And I like those guests very often that can draw on a broad range of experience, not just one small field. Right. I mean, you know, she ran this huge uh, healthcare organization in Utah that that really grappled with a lot of these issues that 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 we're talking about. And I love how pragmatic and kind of down to earth the book is looking for attainable solutions, not assuming that we have to wait for one fantastic global, you know, solution that's going to be applied across the whole country all at once, but rather that there are ways to pick away at some of these problems, even things individual patients can do. And that's to me kind of the, the essence of of how do we fix it? One more thing, you and I have a disagreement about uh, universal health care, but this show uh, is an illustration of how much that can be done that doesn't have anything to do with that debate. Right. You know, it, it is such a crazy system we have uh, that she really gets to the heart of, of this fee-for-service. I liked her comment about how we've 
we've blundered into a system that instead of using the tailwinds of capitalism to drive us in the in a good direction, instead we're running in what she called the headwinds of capitalism. We've put the incentives in the wrong place into into ordering more tests and doing more procedures because that's the way doctors get paid. And people talk about healthcare as if it's a capitalist system, when in fact in so many ways, capitalism has been disabled in this. This is this is this is not an example of capitalism doing what it does. It's almost the opposite. It's an example of a a, a, a field that, for well-intentioned reasons, has wound up getting just hogtied in layers and layers of of, reg, of regulation and indirect payments. So nobody knows what they're paying, what they're charging. It's nuts. And and maybe we need a combination of good policies. On, from the government to make sure everybody gets care, but also a healthy dose of capitalism where it works to help make people more accountable, bring down prices, bring up quality, as I said, just, just as it does in every other field. And on that, we, we happily agree. It's How Do We <laughs> Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And this is a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits. And this podcast is produced by Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Summer's just around the corner, so give your body the care it deserves with Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Created by infusing Andaria seaweed in barrels of botanical oils, it leaves skin silky soft and glowing. Plus, it's clinically proven to improve elasticity and deeply moisturize without feeling greasy. It's safe, clean, vegan skincare. Get 10% off your first order at oseamalibu.com with code GLOW, plus free shipping on orders over $60.